This is the Leadership School Podcast. From conflict resolution, boundaries, and customer service, we dive into what it takes to be an extraordinary leader. I'm so delighted today to introduce you to my friend, Dr. Richard Gathro. We met back in 2005 when I was working for the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities in Washington, D.C., and Dr. Gathro hired me and was my boss. Uh, in fact, in my self-care workshop, I always mention an employer who treated me really well with dignity and respect, and that employer was Dr. Gathro. So anytime you hear me doing that self-care workshop and I mention that employer, it is Dr. Gathrow, and you could remember this interview, but he has over 40 years of incredible leadership experience. And it's just impossible to summarize that in a short introduction, but I'm going to try. Dr. Gathrow's expertise is in higher education and nonprofit consulting. Those careers have taken him all over the globe. He has focused on engaging students and building relationships, which you'll hear all about that in our interview. He has served on numerous nonprofit boards around the world um, from the United States, Russia, and the UK. And he's currently serving on the board for three different nonprofits, uh, including the Culture Connection, the Hodos Institute for Leadership Development and Research, and the Special Fathers Network. He's also built several small businesses, most recently the Gathrow Group, a nonprofit consulting company. My friend, Dr. Gathrow, is a scholar, mentor, leader, husband, father, friend, he lives in Florida with his wife, Kathy, and his son, William, and you'll hear about them a little bit more in our interview. When we start this conversation, you're going to be jumping in right into the conversation that we were already having. So jump right on in with us and enjoy learning from one of my mentors and somebody that I deeply respect and admire. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Rich Gathrow. Anchor Podcast is the easiest way to make a podcast. Not only is it free, but it has everything you need, including creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. For me, in just a few minutes, I was able to go from an idea to a reality of having my podcast launched and out there. Anchor not only distributes your podcast for you on all platforms, but it has everything you need in one place. You can download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started really want to emphasize leadership and leadership skills. And I wanted to interview you because you are an amazing example of this. And a lot of the leadership skills that I have, I've learned from you. And so I just would love to hear, uh, maybe you can just give us a summary of your life, your leadership experience, how, what brought you to this point. And we'll just lead that, let that lead the way into some other topics. Well, let me begin by saying uh, I have, um, something I've written up called Gathrow's aphorisms. And the number one aphorism is only fools think they're in control. And so when it comes to my life, uh, I mostly have just tried to pay attention. And, you know, and uh, I, I'm one who sees a master design that God puts together that we don't put together. How he pulls it off, that's God's business. I don't understand it, that how he gives us a free will and lets us get away with all kinds of stupid decisions and 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 then meanwhile carry out a plan in our lives. lives. Um, so um, it's just so important to recognize we're not in control and just pay attention. 
and and uh, not be afraid of taking risks. Uh, you know, we only really really alive when we live outside our comfort zone. Mm. So it's so important to just pay attention when the opportunities come our way, and uh, always remember this is very important that we don't get our identity from what we do. We take it to what we do. Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, that's, that's kind of, so my life has been uh, in higher education. Um, I strayed here and there and had some, a couple of small businesses uh, along the way and, and uh, um did some things that weren't my idea, but I knew that I was supposed to do them anyways. One of the benefits of, of being older is you get to see a design. So, uh, but again, only fools think they're in control. Um, while I was in grad school, I was given a part-time job as an admissions counselor. Um, I wandered into, the, I was graduating from my undergrad program, wandered into the dean's office to get my graduation gown, and he offered me a job. And I fell in love with working with students and and actually also became chief enrollment officer. And, uh, and uh, that began my whole career in higher ed. And the greatest joy of that work was investing in those who were to follow me, you know, uh, when we read the Odyssey, we learn a couple lessons. One is the hero of the Odyssey goes the distance mm. uh, and then takes what he learns and teaches others. That's what it's about. Wow. You know, um, I was telling you right before we started, um, you had sent me your CV to look over and to put together the information for this podcast. and. As I was reading it, at first I felt really intimidated by all the amazing things that you have accomplished. Like I was looking going, wow, he has all this stuff. Look what he's done. And this is incredible. And then I had to, you know, because I, I have this um, imposter syndrome that comes in where I think, oh, I just, I'm never going to be that awesome. But then um, I look at it and I went, wait a second. He started an admissions. You started somewhere and you just build and you just followed the things that were in front of you and you took the next right step. You did the next right thing. Yep. You you followed those things, um, and that led you to being the executive vice president and beyond that. I mean, you that was years ago that you were in that role, um, and to this this leader that I admire and that so many people admire and respect because you kept following those steps that were in front of you. Yeah, I just paid attention. Just paid yeah. attention. That's you know I like to say that's God's will. How do we know God's will? Pay attention. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's in front well, of our nose. <laughs> there it is. Tell there me some things that you noticed, like maybe something recently in the last five or 10 years. Like if there's something that sticks out to you, you thought um, you thought maybe you were going to go one way and you were paying attention and it just took you to a surprise. Well, uh, the one example that it comes to my mind uh, when I was leaving the CCCU, um, I was I was in conversation with a corporation, and um, it was looking good. Um, and my uh, previous boss, Bob Andriga, mm -hmm. uh, I talked to him about the company, 
and he, he knew it well. And he said to me, Rich, you're going to make more money you've ever made in your life. It's a fantastic company, but it's not you. Mm. It's not you. And I turned that opportunity down. And I received a phone call from the president of Nyack College. And he said, what's going on in your life, man? And I said, well, um, I'm looking for a, a new position. Uh, I had left my previous position out of principle um, when uh, uh, I didn't uh, see things the same way as that boss saw things. And I left out of principle. And I said, uh, I'm looking for something. He said, well, why don't you come up here to New York? Uh, I'd love to have you as one of my vice presidents. We all love you up here. And I said, well, I'm, you know, uh, I have a daughter in high school and I've moved my parents into retirement center here. And I really can't leave D.C. And he said, oh, we've got a Washington, D.C. campus. Uh, why don't you take that? Run that. I was going to close it. But you could have it. <laughs> wow <laughs> i pay i paid attention and had a wonderful time wonderful wow wonderful five years there so i just yeah. paid attention that's amazing <laughs> well but you didn't just pay attention though rich you also had courage because for me i so i sometimes struggle with that when i see that thing in front of me even though it might not be the right thing to do i might not know what else to do instead and so i'll get overwhelmed and I'll feel yeah. like, well, but I have to do this. I don't have another choice. What else am I going to do? I'm going to take this job. And then it ends up leading me in the direction I didn't want to go, you know? And so in that moment when you were like unemployed, needing to take care of your family, depending on some income and needing this job that would cover that, how did you have that courage to say no and wait for something else that you didn't, you had no idea he was going to call you? Well, years ago, uh, when I was in a potential job transition, uh, I was in Oxford and uh, my family had just gone home. Uh, we, we were there running a summer program, a six week summer program at Oxford. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the flat as the British call it. Uh, <laughs> and I'm reading Psalm 34 where it says, and the and the Lord hears your cry. And I, I said, God, what am I going to do next here? How am I going to pay my mortgage? Uh, I've got two special needs children with exceptional medical bills. How am I going to do this? And I heard a voice, not audibly, please hear me. I don't claim to hear audible sounds from God, but with inside my head, mm -hmm. I know it wasn't me. I heard a voice say, have I ever left you? Have I ever deserted you? What makes you think I will now? Mm. And uh, that was, wow, that was many years ago. But I lived by that principle ever since. I'm never, I'm never alone. I'm never alone. Mm. Um, and, that, and so um, I don't believe fear, even during pandemics, you know. Uh, I don't buy into all these fearful conspiracies that people come up with. The latest one that made me laugh was the Italians sent satellites over America to, to manipulate the vote. Where do people come up with these things? 
<laughs> my favorite is the magnet that we're all magnetic now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, we, you know, the joy of follow, being a follower of Jesus. I like that better than saying being a Christian. I don't know what a Christian is. It's just a nickname. The joy of following Jesus is you don't have to ever live in fear. Mm. You don't have to live in fear. And so many people do. You know, uh, Jesus didn't come to found Christianity. He came for us. Mm. And uh, I just keep asking myself the question, uh, when all is said and done, have I lived for truth? Have I lived my life from the perspective that Jesus Christ offers me? And then I know if I do those things, then I know what love's reward is. Yeah. You know, this isn't a faith-based podcast. Uh, I do believe in Jesus, but um, I'm going to let you talk more about this because I need to hear it. And I think a lot of us as leaders need to hear it. And even those who don't believe in Jesus and don't follow Jesus, that's totally fine. Um, it's um, knowing that there's that that higher power that we can trust in and believe in and that that loves and cares for us and that we're worth that. Um, and I I mean, I'm going to take a detour from the, what we were going to talk about and just talk about this because every time I talk to you, my faith is renewed a little bit because the evangelical Christian world has um, made my faith dissipate a little bit. Yeah. Rich is crossing himself in our video chat right now. Um, <laughs> oh, because it is every time I'm in it, I, um, I am discouraged. I'm disappointed and I want to run away. And to the point of saying, I just don't believe in God anymore. I don't believe in this. I'm running away. I don't want anything to do with it. Hands off. And the, and sometimes having to say hands off has made me take that break from it. And I've needed that to be able to see what I really think that is meant to see. And that for me is really just love and what you said that, that I am loved. And then right. when I can really believe that for myself, and, and this is exactly why I talk about what I do with leaders and self-care. It is, it is when I have enough love for myself and I believe that I am loved enough, that just flows out of me to everybody else. And if when I'm so focused on, all the things that I should be doing or all the rules or all the, um, the politics of religion and all of that. Um, I totally miss the mark on believing that I am loved and I'm not loving other people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you've heard what I already said. I, uh, who cares about that word evangelical? I don't use it anymore because I don't, um, I don't, I don't think our faith is a political party. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, you already heard me say it. I, I, you know, we, we get so confused. Like, I don't want anybody to join Christianity. Um, I, I want, I want to people to encounter this, uh, what, what uh, Charles Malik, the president of the United Nations once said, uh, Jesus Christ is the hinge of history, and um, that's different than all this stuff. We, you know, uh, you know. Um, sometimes I, I I have this image image uh, that God is a whack-a-mole game because we try so hard to squash him, 
but then he just shows up somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> That's a so, great image. <laughs> I so, love that image. Because we try to control God. And we try to, you know, uh, hide behind our tribe and, and buy into things that, uh, you know, divide us from others. And uh, But meanwhile, God is always saying, I see you. I hear you. I've got this with you and I love you and you're taking, and I'm taking you with all your miry clay and turning you into gold, but you can't do it. I'm doing it. One of my leadership principles, you know, are that, are that we have to be careful. I got, I got this from Henri now in his book, one of his books. There's, th there's three temptations of a leader. One is uh, to be powerful. Uh, that's a dangerous thing. Another is to be popular. That's a, a dangerous thing. Uh, you know, uh, and another is to try to always so be so hard to be cool and relevant. Uh, those are temptations that we need to toss aside. And uh, I just read a, speaking of leadership, I just finished an excellent book called How Ike Led about, about Dwight D. Eisenhower. It's written mm -hmm. by his granddaughter, Susan Eisenhower. I don't get any commission for this. I recommend <laughs> reading the book uh, because he was such a model of leadership um, because he possessed... Uh, the character, you know, um, for me, character is so important. And uh, his character was so uh, strong. And so many of our contemporary leaders don't have any character. Uh, and, and tell me what you mean when you're when you say the word character, what comes to mind? Like what can we flesh that out a little bit? What are you thinking when you, when you sure, use that word? Sure, sure. Um, First thing that comes to my mind is humility. Mm. Um, I try to carry a, a simple statement in my head all the time. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could do this. Maybe I could do this differently. Maybe I'm not right about this. I should be asking these questions. Humility, number one. Empathy, mm. number two. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to be able to walk in other people's shoes. You know, there over a hundred billion humans have walked the earth, according to science, and no two are alike. Not even identical twins, which are genetic clones, so to speak. Uh -huh. But I've got a I, one of my dearest friends, an identical twin. He and his brother, when you really get to know them, are very different in many, many ways. They look alike. They sound alike. They're raised in the same environment, of, of course but they're different. Uh, it's God's creativity. So another thing about character is the willingness. This is something Eisenhower was good at. The willingness to accept responsibility. Mm, yes. You know, this failed. And it, because I'm in charge, I'm responsible. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've had to fire quite a few people in my life. Not that I enjoy it, far from it. Mm -hmm. But 
I usually said, this is my responsibility. You're a very gifted person, but this is, and it's not, but it's not working. And this is my responsibility. You're not as, as Jim Collins would say on the right seat on the bus. Mm. This is so, so, it, it, so you're, instead of saying you have failed at this, it's that because right. I care about you, I want to put you in a place that you'll be successful and that's not going to be here. And I have two very, very good friends that I have, I fired in life. Really? And you were able to maintain that friendship. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, in, in, in both their cases, I talked through what I saw that in terms of what their gifting was, what their motivated skills were, and how they had the wrong seat on the bus. And I said, this is what you should be looking for. Now, secondly, how do we have you leave here with dignity? Yes. That's extremely important. How do you do that as a boss? That let's implement a plan. Okay. With, with one, uh, you're going to keep your title for at least the next 90 days while I look for another person. And it's hard, easier to find a job when you have a title. Yep. Uh, and I'm going to see to it that you have health insurance for, mm -hmm. for months if you need it. So you don't have to think about that because that's so distracting. And, and uh, you're going to have a desk and a chair and a computer when you look for other work. And, uh, you know, I'm going to walk with you till you find your next position. Wow. Leave and that's dignity. a lot of extra effort on your part, but it's because you care about that person. Absolutely. I, you know, this is interesting that you say this because I was just having a conversation with somebody this morning about this very topic um, and how letting people go and, and whether or not you should do that, especially when they're a friend and um, how to do that. And so I'm, I love hearing you explain that. I can't wait to recommend my friend listen to this because uh, that, that is a hard situation to be in. And, and to say that, because I care about you, like being able to shift that perspective and that mindset a little bit to, I'm not, this isn't just about business. This isn't just a business decision. This is because of people. Well, and when it comes to, to firing someone, uh, Max Dupree, the management guru who had, who had a big impact on me. Um, he wrote a book called leadership is an art. Leadership is an art. There was a phrase in there that I've never forgotten. Leaders don't inflict pain, they bear pain. Oh, wow. And so I, when I had to dismiss people, I always did my best to bear the pain that they were feeling and bore the pain of how much it hurt to let them go. Now, granted, there were a couple people I fired along the way that wasn't painful to let them go. You know? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Because uh, there was person major personality issue or even uh, something done that was illegal or whatever. Right. Uh, there are times, you, have, you know, <laughs> but, the, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but most people, uh, you know, we're all just trying to find our, our way in life. And we're all I just trying to find our way. Yes. And um, I love what you say that relationships are, how do you say it? Relationships are what matter and the rest is just details. Life is 99% about relationships. All else is just details. Yeah. 
I think that's so true. And I, I just, I love how you have implemented that and what you do and in your leadership, how, when you, let's go back to the talking about as a leader, bearing that pain, how do you do that? Um, not in that, like the physical sense, but more in the mental and emotional, you could, could take on easily and choose to carry all this weight people. How do you still bear that responsibility, but not feel heavy all the time, you know, always feel that weight of it and be able to still go on because I mean, some people, I think this is personality. Some people, this is easier for than others, but I'm a very empathetic person. And so I will like feel those emotions and hold on to them. And I have to find ways to release that. And so I would love to just hear how you have found those ways to, to do that. Boy, you're right on about the weight and you, and, uh, I don't have, uh, easy answer for how you deal with it i do self-talk uh say to myself look accept the responsibility um you're the one that took this position and it comes with the responsibility and i have to uh trust god that i've made the right decision and and bear the pain and just bear it uh and uh you know and do some good self-talk you know, it's not, there's not an easy how-to to on bearing pain, you know. Um, <laughs> I remember one, one person that I fired, uh, she called me up and she cussed me out for about 30 or 40 minutes nonstop. Wow. Called me, called me names, so forth. And uh, all of a sudden she stopped and she says, I can't believe you're still listening to me. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and wow. She, and her whole attitude changed. Her whole attitude changed. She just needed but, to kind of get that out. You just go, were, you allowed her to. Yeah. yeah. But we, we so need each other. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, you mentioned Kimberly. One of my leadership principles is always hire someone who's going to be unafraid to tell you you're wrong. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, if you want to, if you're a kind of person that's insecure and you want to hire yes people at your business, but it's a great failing. What I loved about Kimberly is she would come into my office and say, that was a stupid decision. <laughs> <laughs> How you did know, you respond? <laughs> I said, well, tell me about it. And we talked and, 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 all, and all of a sudden, she would go, I'm sorry, Rich. I love you, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you build those relationships, right? I love that. It's, and, you know, after you do fire someone, I think when you carry that weight, maybe having that conversation with somebody, uh, like someone that you're close to or even that person yeah. that you fired, to be able to repair yeah. those relationships, to talk about it, to say, um, to a colleague or a mentor peer to say that I'm, I'm struggling in this moment, or this was hard and just to, to share it. Not that they might have any advice, but that you're not having to hold it all in all the time. Be well, willing to be vulnerable. Yeah. And, uh, it, sometimes it t the, the weight lasts for weeks, months, and years mm. where it comes back to haunt you and you've got to self-talk and say, say, hold it, hold it this isn't doing any good to relive this. It's just not doing any good. Let it go. You got to yeah. let it go. 
You and that goes back go. to what you were saying earlier too about truth and love, right? That yeah. if, if you, you got to speak the truth to yourself and have some love for yourself, it's not just like saying things to make you feel good and feel better. It's, it's knowing that you are loved just as much as you've loved that other person um, yeah. and, and holding on to that. Uh, I want to switch gears just a little bit um, kind of similar things, but as we were talking earlier about Christianity and um, some of your goals and things, I've always noticed um, that you seem to be ahead of the game, ahead of the curve a little bit in your culture and your groups. Um, and specifically, I've noticed that you were kind of ahead in diversity in learning and equity inclusion. I mean, you were thinking, talking about DEI before I was even a, a known acronym to me. <laughs> I mean, and, and you did these things and, you were always like seemed really ahead of this white evangelical culture that I was a part of. Um, and so I just want to know, like, what are some things that pushed you to be so far ahead? I mean, you were a lot older than me. We're going to just be honest here that you are a lot older. You have a lot more experience. Um, but you're, in, in your generation, I, I tend to have this vision of, and this is why I keep coming back to you, but I want to know how, how is this just your personality? Is this something that you learned? You had mentors. I mean, because you have just led the way in some of this thinking and these thought processes. And um, you are always open to learning. And what you said earlier, you might be wrong. And you're always willing to be wrong and to learn something new. And I just, I mean, I know I'm throwing a lot here. This is kind of a big overarching yeah. topic. We'll get to some details here. But I just want to know, like, how, how <laughs> have you done this? Well, I think, um, I think, first of all, um, you know, we're born, we're born into a story and it does shape us. But in our own story, we have to, again, as I mentioned earlier, be willing to live outside our comfort zone and take risks. And then we're alive. You know, there's, there's basic questions of, of life. Am I alive? And if we're living yeah. outside our comfort zone, we are alive. Um, and uh, so... I've always sought out relationships with people who think differently than me and listened. Leaders talk too much. <laughs> Leaders sh should spend 75% of their time asking questions and listening. And so I'm always seeking out people that think differently than me. And I don't have, I don't, many times I don't end up agreeing, but, you know, um, staying informed with the big picture and trends, uh, you know, it's one of the things that attracted me to my wife because I know she wouldn't put up with me staying in any kind of ruts. She is, <laughs> she's very prophetic in how she addresses the world. But, uh, you know, I think back on, on the uh, racial issues, my best friend in college was African-American. Uh, we uh, ran across each other on the, on the college newspaper and um, we started uh, really iron sharpening iron with each other. And he introduced me to the South side of Chicago. He introduced me to Dr. King. Now this is aging me we would listen to, we, we would listen to dr king's uh speeches on records oh wow there weren't cds 
this was 1966, you know, um, and uh, comfort zone again. What did I do? I joined an African-American church. In fact, they insisted that I sing in the choir so they could have an albino in the choir, um, which was absolutely hilarious because when musical skills were passed out, I was lost down the hall, but oh, they wanted me in the choir. So I sang in the choir, but the, uh, but it's so important to operate out of your comfort zone and, and walk in other people's shoes, just walk into the people's shoes and it gives you a different uh, perspective, but we're such cowards about that. We always seek, seek the comfort of uh, others who agree with us and it, Leaders shouldn't do that. Mm. Leaders should not seek only the comfort of those who agree with you. Well, I imagine that would make, leave you uncomfortable quite a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, but I grew, but you grow bigger. Yeah, and then you, you know? start to become com- more comfortable in those spaces, and then you have yeah. to broaden even further beyond that. Yeah, so you know, even in my reading, you know. Uh, you know, I'm a faithful reader of Rolling Stone. Now, what's an old toot like me doing reading Rolling Stone? But I, it pushes me, you know, and I read The Economist and to see what's really happening around the world. And, and uh, you know, I read, uh, I have some, some editorialists that are very conservative that I make sure to read and editorialists that are very liberal that I make sure I read. I want to hear all the you know, I think this is a mark of leadership too, a desire to hear all the points of view on things. That's, yes. pursu- that's pursuing truth. It's wonderful. So how do you, when you're doing that, tell me about what that former an opinion, because you some all of a sudden now have all of these different thoughts and opinions and perspectives coming at you. And I think this is really hard, especially for young adults. You know, especially as we're becoming an adult, trying to find our way in the world. Um, and you know, when we're in our 18, 20s, you know, 18s, when we're in like our late teens and our 20s, figuring that out, you've got all this stuff coming at you. How do you land somewhere? And is that important? Well, I, uh, I filter all these uh, opinions through my life experiences, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and particularly uh, what I've learned through the many mistakes I've made. We learn more from our failures than our successes. But yeah. I, filter, I filter them through my, the lenses of, of my worldview, too. Um, and uh, my worldview is biblically informed, not informed by theologians, but my earnestly trying to understand what the scripture says. Um, you know, my, and so uh, I'm always filtering through that, my worldview, my sense of mission and purpose. Um, you know, I, 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 I live by the Frederick Beekner quote, which I have on my wall here. Uh, it says, calling the place where your deep gladness and the deep and the world's deep hunger meet. And I filter, I ask myself questions about the world's deep hunger and how that fits into my calling. So um, I, I just uh, pay attention to it all. Um, and I'm always willing to, um, to 
to learn and, and grow. Curio you know, curiosity is an important personality trait. Um, and let me testify to you as a, uh, as an old toot that I want to go to I want to go to my deathbed curious. You know, oh. I'm actually cur so curious anymore now that I'm older about what heaven's going to be like. I mean, I mean curiosity. Um, you know, we don't have to, we just don't have to live in fear. And so many people do. But um, I think I'm on to something when I say this. My conservative friends think I'm a liberal and my conservative, my, my liberal friends think I'm a Neanderthal because, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I wish I could, sometimes it'd be so much easier to fit into a box but there's things I'm very conservative about and things I'm very liberal about. Again, out of developing a worldview based on in my experience, what the people God has brought my way, searching the scriptures, you know, so, um, you know, so let me just take, say this one, for example, I, uh, the scriptures, as I've contemplated them, have taught me the care of creation, the environment is not a liberal or conservative issue. But I have conservative friends who think I'm some kind of left winger because I care so deeply about the earth is the Lord's and I have given, I have stewardship responsibility. Uh, I don't think it's a conservative liberal issue. Um, so when you got the environmental protection agency, it's wrong. You know, we're seeing, we're seeing, uh, a problem here on the west coast of Florida right now called red tide. That's a result of pollution. It's killing the fish. We can't walk the beach right now. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it's it's as a result of dumping uh, our our pollution into the bay, which flows into the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and I think that's a no brainer to recognize um uh, the second law of thermodynamics called empathy. There's mm -hmm. only so much that we have and we need to care for it. And part of the, everything that you said earlier that we, everything is encompassed in love. I mean, the, yeah. the love for where we live, the love for our creation, the love for the, the things in our life um, and having, having that love just reflect out of us. And when we're throwing our pollution into it, that's not loving it. That's, yeah. that's, that's not being a respect and dignity to where we live at all either. But, um, and as yeah. you're talking about people that you disagree with and bringing those in, um, I love how you're saying that curiosity, I really want to know your opinion. I really want to know your perspective and what you think it'll help me grow and help me learn. And, and it might be different than mine, but I still want to know you and knowing what you think yeah. is part of knowing you. And that's how we can disagree. That was one of my questions for you is going to be, how do you develop these strong relationships with people that you disagree with? And I see you saying, and I hear you saying, because you're curious about them and you care. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a matter of, of wanting to know people. Mm. I, I don't know how often I've been in social situations where people don't ever ask me a question to know me. I've been there you know, too. They'll ask me what I do, but that's not really getting to know me. Um, so I, I, you know, I want to know people and we, one of our basic, Thing, desires in life is to be known. Yeah. You know, and so 
if you if you're if you're with authenticity seeking to know a person they will trust you and engage you at different levels uh, one of the most uh, radical moments in my life was surrounding the subject of human sexuality realizing that's a very complex question a lot of people left and right think it's an e their answers are easy and frankly you people out there listening you can disagree with me but when it comes to human sexuality there aren't a lot of easy answers but i'm i developed a relationship with a friend who was gay and we would talk and talk and one day he said to me rich if you could deliver me for one day from my desire for other men I would tear off my right arm and give it to you. And wow. I found myself walking in his shoes about the depth of his struggle and the depth of his pain. There aren't any easy yeah. answers. There are, and um, the, there aren't easy answers. Um, and those who, you know, people just want to make, you know, work so hard to be comfortable and we're supposed to be curious instead choose curiosity over comfort and then you're really alive wow and you doing that has led you literally all over the world all over the and, world and you have influenced and i know you don't realize you maybe you do realize this but you've literally influenced thousands and thousands of people because of that i mean yeah. you started student programs and that i'm a product of and um, you know, and the way that you built that culture with this attitude of love and you put people in those positions and those students, thousands of students who have come through there, um, who have then taken, heard that message, taken it to heart, believed that they were loved and then told everybody else about it. And I think that because of people like you, that is why we're having these cultural revolutions right now, because we're wanting to shout from the rooftops, I am loved and you are too. Yeah. And I can be known. Yes. You know, we're, we're born uh, looking to be known. We're born looking to be known. We want our mother to know us. We want our father to know us uh, and love us. And we're, we're searching to be known when we're born. And when we're known, we're much more secure. Yeah. So... If, if we're in a position where we are feeling unknown, how do we go about finding more people like you? Uh, you know, <laughs> this is, I mean, like, you're laughing, but I'm like, I believe that relationships take effort and pursuit. They really yeah. do. And, and, you know, I think that we can always be that person, be that person yeah. to love others and others will be drawn to us. But when we're feeling alone and we're feeling like we can't do that, how would we go about finding mentors who are going to, see us as humans and know us and, and care for us the way and like where where do we look where are you seeing those types of leaders it's one of the reasons i did a master's in psychology along the way uh, -huh. uh my curiosity um i uh i was an undergrad history major but most the much of that time i was a, a pk a pagan kids so i realized i had no understanding of church so i did a uh, masters in church history you know uh curiosity again there are two kinds of mentors there are mentors in the flesh and when you find one just be a sponge and i've been blessed with some mentors in my life both men and women 
and I keep I've kept my eyes open for those mentors and allowed them to mentor without fear. Um, and then, but there's another kind of mentor too that has had a big impact on me, and that is mentors in history. I mentioned Eisenhower. Mm-hmm. He's I've studied him and studied him. He's been such a mentor to me, and obviously I never knew him. Um, and I've learned so much from him by studying him. Obviously not perfect. You know, for example, he had a terrible temper. But there, um, but even there he mentored me because you know how he dealt with his temper? He would express his anger in writing. He'd get out paper and write out all his anger and then tear it up and get it all out, <laughs> which, is, which is a mentoring moment. But um, I did my master's thesis William Wilberforce and I remember this and the Clapham movement. And they, you know, Hannah Moore mentored me. Uh, John Thornton mentored me. Uh, Henry Thornton mentored me. John Venn mentored me. The, Charles Grant, all these people, including Wilberforce. I read vociferously Wilberforce's diaries and uh, they mentored me. In fact, that master's thesis taught me the significance of, of, of uh, relationship in a lot of ways. Uh, I haven't written a lot, had time to write a lot of scholarly articles, been too busy, but I wrote one on Wilberforce and his friends out of reaction after having studied them. I was in a fundraising dinner and the speaker kept saying, look what one man can do. First of all, I was turned off because he said one man instead of one person. (laughs) <laughs> but second, secondly, uh, Wilberforce didn't do it alone. He didn't do it alone. He never would have accomplished what was accomplished without his companions. Yeah. And uh, that was that the most powerful message of that group was their relationship and how they empowered each other. So. Yeah, uh, and got and got behind each other on what God had put on their hearts to reform England and the colonies and and uh, the injustices they saw. They saw they formed over what we would call uh, nonprofits today. They formed over seventy wow quote nonprofits to address society's ills. I mean, they were amazing, but they empowered each other. And one person didn't do it all by himself. They they made Wilberforce a spokesperson because he was eloquent. He was an orator. He was a, it was fascinating to read his diaries and how he began to develop his own sense of mission. Again, when you have your sense of mission figured out, and it will evolve, of course, it becomes the lenses you can wear and your decisions you have to make. Yeah, it does. And I, I, I think that it's really valuable too, remembering that we never have led alone because that like when you were talking earlier about that weight of responsibility that you're carrying and we kind of yeah. touched on it then too. Um, I think oh, I see a lot of people posting, I mean, on social media, like it's so lonely at the top. It's so lonely at the top. And I just think that that shouldn't be true that we should, if you're at the top, that should be the least lonely place. You should be surrounding yourself by these people who can support you and who you're supporting and that you're not doing any of these things together. Because if you're lonely at the top, my sense is that you're probably 
not really doing something that great. And what do you have left? You're, if, if life is about relationships and you're just trying to be here at the top all by yourself, you're, you're missing out on a lot of things. Yeah, you're, um, there, there is, there are moments of loneliness, such as what we talked about in firing people. Uh There are moments of loneliness, but if you, if you hire the right people, you're never lonely. Uh Uh, You, but you also need some people that aren't employed with you that Uh are our companions as well. Uh, I have some life companions uh, dating all the way back to college. Wow. And and you stay in touch and you and you pour your hearts out. I have two companions that date to second grade, back to second grade. We've been we you know we are friends forever, and we always pick up where we left off. You need so you need companions within your work and companions outside your work. But um, here's a very important lesson about leadership: when you hire the right people. And you give them the tools they need to succeed. They make you look good. They make you look good. And vice versa. I bet you make them look pretty good too. (laughs) Oh yeah. But you, you give them the, you you get the right people on the right, as Colin says on the bus and you give them what they need to accomplish what they need to do. You know, and and then that's how you can really grow. Like I really, I I get so frustrated with nonprofits who don't pay people living wages because Mm -hmm. they they don't have enough resources to pay people well. And I think, well, if you don't give people what they need, they can't do what you need them to do. And if you're wanting, if you have this nonprofit idea to really change the world or serve people in this great way and to make this big impact, you got to give people what they need to do that. And then once they have what they need, they're going to stick there and they're going to stay there for a long period of time and, and really make a huge impact. And think of the, the impact that you made just from staying in the positions you had for such long periods of time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the keys to successful nonprofits are nonprofit boards. Mm-hmm. And you put the right board together. They bear pain with the chief executive and they bear the the responsibility with the chief executive to make sure the money is there. Mm-hmm. Um, proper nonprofit board training is so critical. This is what Bob Andrika taught me. He taught me about nonprofit board management. I learned so much that I've been able to share with other nonprofit boards that I've been on. I'm always on several. The... Um, to really empower that chief executive and see that the staff is paid well. And um, I I developed uh, a whole spreadsheet of the responsibilities and expectations of a a board member. One of those is to be a major giver. Yeah. You know, that's a responsibility. And and when you say giver, are you meaning financial or time or both? Oh, Oh, time financially, wisdom, um, you are walking with that the leaders of that organization. And I'm on a, uh, the executive committee of a board right now. We're going to be meeting to talk about um, how do we pay our president better? Hmm. We're not paying him. You know, what do we do? I mean, we need to, that's how a, board, a nonprofit board needs to be thinking. How can we empower the people on that team? Um, you know, that's why nonprofit board training is so 
important. So many nonprofit boards end up with a group of, of do-gooders who don't know what they're doing. They don't yeah. understand that they have financial responsibility. Mm -hmm. They don't understand that they need to hold the CEO accountable and have a performance review every year. And you know, they don't understand that the CEO is not responsible alone for the vision. They are. Those yeah. are some of the things that a nonprofit board does. I think you can even think of those things. I've heard of the term life board, and you talked about having um, people on your team in life, like your long life companions. And um, I think even some of these things could be your life board and some things like when, what are the questions that you ask people to allow you to be honest with you, um, to hold you accountable, to push you, to make sure that you have what you need. Um, then you have those people in your, your companions. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's your good point. Um, I, I, um, you got to listen to your life board. Mm -hmm. One time I was offered a presidency of an organization and, I assembled my life board and yeah. I said, let's talk. And they said, there's only two things that are appealing to you about this organization, the title and the money. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it, Rich. And I sat there and thought, yeah, you're right. But I might've done it if I didn't ask my life board yeah. what they thought, let them question me. Yeah. Uh, that's where humility comes in. One of the places that humility comes in. Humility is so important. Well, I'll ask so you, important. Let me ask you an interesting question that just popped in my head. Um, your life board, the people that you would consider closest to you, um, would you say that you agree with them or they agree with you on the majority of things other than, you know, that example? But like when you talk about um, maybe liberal versus conservative or p opinions or political opinions, those kinds of things, do they agree with you or are you really very close friends with people who disagree with you? Oh, we're, we're close, we're close friends, but, um, the, um, uh, not, we don't necessarily agree. That's really yeah. important. You've met John Birnbaum. Oh, he's, yes. a member, he's a member of my life board. He and I fight all the time. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. But we love <laughs> I, each other. We love yeah. each other. We don't fight all the time, but we fight. <laughs> you know, we don't fight all the time. You know, as we've grown old together, we fight less. But uh, <laughs> you, you have know. been friends for a very long time, ever since I've known you, and before then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, yeah, it's 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 important to have develop a life board where they feel completely free to tell you what they think. Sure. Um, you know, that's where again, where humility comes in. It's yeah. just so it's so important. So important. Wow. Rich, I have a lifetime of things to learn from you. Yeah. I am just always learning for you, from you, and I'm so grateful. Refreshing and encouraging to just think, I don't always have to be what I see. And I can choose to see. I can choose to follow who I want to follow and the people that I respect and that I admire. Yeah. And I don't have to follow yeah. the people I don't respect. I can disagree. I can, yeah. I can still have conversations with them, but I don't have to do things just because they said it and they think they're right. Uh, I can follow where I, I know to be true and what I know yeah. to be right and, and the things that I know to be good and, and be curious and be always learning and, uh, and do that. But putting my attention into places that are meaningful 
Yeah. So good. thank you. Thank you for being that person for me. I'm, I'm just so grateful. And, and I don't want to be so awkward and just saying that over and over and over, but I, I just really am honored. And um, I really appreciate you. Is there anything else that you feel like you really want to make sure people hear from you and um, before we end this conversation? Oh, that's a good question. I, um, investing in others is one of the most important legacies of life. Uh, somebody once said, write a eulogy resume, not a career resume. I think, uh, uh, I think that's probably a good way to conclude. Thank you again, Rich, for this amazing conversation of I'm still learning from you and grateful for all of these lessons of wisdom that you've passed along. For those of you listening, Rich has also shared a couple of his documents with us. We, If you go to the podcast notes, you should be able to see a link to his nonprofit guidelines that he has put together, as well as some of those aphorisms he mentioned, some of those little words of wisdom that might help you along the way. So you can find those through the link in the podcast notes. And thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you have to come check out my eight-week leadership coaching program. You can see all the details on my website at kylacofer.com. That's spelled K-Y-L-A-C-O-F as in friend, E-R.com. Thanks for listening.